Welcome to the Monday morning edition of Unexpected Points. Might be the Monday, midday, or afternoon edition for those of you catching the podcast. But we are live streaming on YouTube over at the Unexpected Points YouTube. Go over there, subscribe, make some comments, drop me some questions. If you have anything in there, uh, do it live. We do it live here around 10 a.m., somewhere between 9 a.m., 10 a.m., uh, East Coast time on Mondays and Friday mornings. Hope everyone enjoyed their weekend. Cowboys fans, maybe not so much. Um, I, I allow Cowboys fandom for those, of course, anyone who's in the larger Dallas-Fort Worth area. You're allowed to have Cowboys fandom. Um, Texas, eh, maybe. Um, anyone who's a Tony Romo defender, I, I, I'm with you on that bucket. And if that, you know, caused you to have some latent Cowboys fandom, which somehow percolated up, maybe I'll allow that. Um, but I won't allow the Cowboys, Lakers, uh, Yankees fans, <laughs> Let's say, let's say the LeBron James fandom people who just pick out those teams and and go for it. Those those are not allowed. Those are not allowed. Although I am a Lakers fan because I grew up in Southern California. So I'm allowed to be a Lakers fan, uh, unlike some some other people here. But anyway, don't have any great uh, dad stories. I've heard some requests for some dad stories from the weekend. Let me see. What do I got? Not much. Shuttling around these little twerps. That's what I got to do. Um, although I have gotten really into soccer and playing soccer. Did not play soccer growing up. Probably should have. Uh, wasted many an hour. Um, not wasted, but used up many an hour playing basketball as a kid. And then I didn't hit a growth spurt until I was about a junior in high school. So uh, it wasn't, wasn't happening at a good school being about uh, – five i don't know five five or something like that until i hit my until I hit my growth spurt to go up to six feet um at the end of high school so let me just tell you i, I might have some natural soccer skills i'm dominating these 12 year olds in the neighborhood straight domination um <laughs> i have to step up to adults who used to play soccer i don't know probably not gonna be so good but uh, definitely some good exercise i can't be like one of these psychopaths who goes to the gym and you know gets on a treadmill and actually tries running for uh, an hour straight or something like that. I can't do that. I need a little little more external motivation. That's what it's uh, providing me out in these soccer streets with the neighborhood kids. Anyway, let's let's get to the football. Let's get to the football. That's what we need to talk about here. Let's start with Sunday night just so I can kind of go through and then maybe dismiss it somewhat. Um, there's a few points I want to make about the game where maybe not even immediately coming out of it, but further down the road, there could be like implications for what happened on Sunday night that then affect our perceptions going forward. Um, when we look at accumulated stats, things like that, the 49ers versus the Cowboys, I saw some takes last night or this early this morning about the Cowboys, maybe not even being a second tier 
NFC team. Maybe they're even worse than that. Nah, I'm, I'm not going that far. Uh, but anyway, the, the, I think the takes really, I think Dak Prescott is going to be another issue going forward. And I want to kind of clean things up a little bit about him. But anyway, let's get into the advanced review and the numbers. So again, you can find this stuff, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Go ahead and subscribe over there. Uh, shoot me a note if you're having any financial difficulty. I think I mentioned this before. I can uh, comp you for six months over there. So if we look at the overall numbers on this one um, for, for, for the game, we got a 32-point differential, 42 to 10. More like 17 points by the adjusted score, but 17 points is still very thick for a differential. Because um, obviously there's going to be a lot of turnovers whenever we're talking about any game where we have a 30-plus point differential, and it's just not going to look as good when we adjust and downweight some of those some of those turnovers. So 58% success rate offensively for the 49ers, only 35 for the Cowboys. So yeah, it was like fundamentally dominant performance, plus 14.2 EPA turnover advantage for the 49ers, who had a very costly Christian McCaffrey fumble near the end zone. So even netting that out, a big advantage for, for them. Um, first percentile outcome for the Cowboys offense as far as negative, almost a negative half a point EPA per play, about 90th percentile for the 49ers, 99th percentile for the 49ers passing offense, uh, 43rd percentile for their running offense. And a lot of that is because, number one, Christian McCaffrey lost this fumble negative 4.6 EPA. These fumbles are massively negative in a context of running offense that just does not generate much value on a play-by-play basis. So that's like the ability to overcome a fumble loss and still have a good offensive output from running efficiency is really, really hard. Um, So there's that. And then also you probably want to adjust at least mentally for the 49ers run offense, even their passing offense, because I think they had one pass attempt that was like a negative two or negative 1.5 EPA. Sam Darnold came in there, one for one for one yard. Um, Shanahan Magic working on Sam Darnold too. Uh, but there were two kind of like run out the clock drives at the end here for the 49ers where they had a combined negative 5.5 EPA uh on these different runs where they were just kind of running it into the line and falling down i think they actually got a first down though along the way so they had some positive runs but that's also part of the equation here where the reality on the 49ers offense fundamentally if you look at like success rate super high i mean we're you know near 100th percentile sort of outcome there near 100th percentile sort of outcome fundamentally i feel like um offensively epa per play And then the Cowboys in the first percentile. So that shows you just the complete and utter domination of this game. But one thing that I'll mention, okay, is that it wasn't just domination when the game was being contested. It was total and complete domination after it was really being contested. So that was like a pylon effect for a lot of this stuff here. And I think if we look at the biggest plays, the most impactful plays of the game in terms of EPA per play, and then we contrast that to what it, they did for win probability, then we start to get an idea of like how much of a pylon this was. The most impactful play 
was negative uh, 5.6 EPA. Dak Prescott trying to hook up with uh, with Brandon Cooks. But again, fourth quarter, 13 minutes to go, down 42 to 10. So zero impact on win probability because they were down so much. Uh, Tony Pollard fumble was next. So again, kind of a little bit unlucky there with the punch out fumble. That did have about a 9% EPA. I mean, uh, um, win probability output. That was the second most negative. Third most negative play of the game. Dak Prescott, uh, Michael Gallup interception. I think that one was tipped and went up in the air. Um, but that one is, again, the score was 35-10, so it didn't really matter, but negative 4.7 EPA there. And then you go down to Prescott's first interception that he had, negative 3.8 EPA is a little bit less as far as the EPA is concerned because it was like a like an arm punt. It was such a long throw, but it was on first and 10, so it's pretty negative. And that was still because they were down you know, 18 points. People look at 18 points in the – middle of the third quarter and it's like oh this is potentially still a game if they score a touchdown does not no it's kind of over <laughs> at that point anyway i mean you were you're you're you're, you're at maybe five percent ish sort of range you could it's not over but you know what i mean it's low so they did lose 2.9 percent win probability on that one um, but if you think about these interceptions in particular for prescott three interceptions combined loss of 3.1 win probability 3.1% win probability. That's it. Two of them had basically no effect on win probability. They were just, it would just pile on again. So those are the fundamental things where I think coming out of this, the Cowboys, like the score differential, how bad it was because of those interceptions that didn't really matter. Uh, Dak Prescott's numbers when it comes to EPA per play, because his numbers, negative uh, 0.42 where it was not good, but it was negative 0.1 before we got below 2% win probability for the Cowboys. So, so like he was, it was bad, but not awful, awful game to that point for Prescott. And remember, we had this offseason narrative of Prescott turning the ball over too much, everyone focusing on the fact that I guess he led the league in interceptions last year. I don't remember exactly what the stat was. They had a bunch of interceptions over the last couple of years. So I kind of like, in a perverse, sicko way, I kind of like the fact that Prescott is willing to throw all these interceptions when they're down. I mean, you want to give your team a chance to make a play. So maybe the first and 10 arm punt down to Brandon Cooks wasn't the best option there. But still, uh, I, I kind of dismiss those, at least mentally, a little bit more than others do. But those are going to show up on the stat sheet. You know, it's going to show up as three interceptions for Dak Prescott in this game. It's going to show up at the, end, at, the, at the end of the season where everyone talks about, you know, they'll have some silly conversation if the, if the Cowboys don't even, you know, go on to the NFC Championship game about whether or not they should get rid of Prescott, bring in Trey Lance um, and, his, and his contract and everything else, his cheaper contract. Um, so I give Prescott some credit because I thought he might be some someone who really was hyper focused on avoiding interceptions this year after having to deal with all that offseason stuff about his interceptions last year. And he just, you know, he just tossed up a, a few freebies there for San Francisco at the end of the game. Now let's talk Brock Purdy for a second. Purdy, uh, 0.71 EPA per play. Obviously, a lot of easy tosses in there, at least some easy tosses in there, but also some pretty good throws. I mean, the first touchdown to Kittle, 
he has to move around in the pocket and make things happen. The last touchdown, I guess, to Kittle, not bad. Not a bad play. Again, a little bit of movement there, finding him over the middle. Not the hardest throw, but at least he makes it happen. The second touchdown to Kittle, yeah, there was a little trickery, a little trickeration there that helped boost that one a bit. Um, but I'll also point to one of the biggest plays in the game, and I think George Kittle's going to get a lot of hype on this one because he had the three touchdowns. But uh, Purdy was almost as good throwing to Debo Samuel, and there was one play in particular. And let me see if it ranks up here on the top plays. Yeah, Br Brock Purdy to Debo Samuel for 42 yards on third and 13. 4.5 EPA is actually the most impactful, successful play for the 49ers was that play. I mean, that was like very beautiful to watch down the field, over the middle anticipation. I mean, he was open. Maybe you say the concept was great, all that other yada yada, um, but hit him perfectly in stride, allowed him to get some yards after the catch and converted this huge third down. If Purdy is successful on third downs, and he has been so far this year, I mean, let's look at the actually. Let me look up to this is like the Jimmy Garoppolo argument. Why I tried to say that maybe Garoppolo is a bit isn't all Shanahan because people would try to say, oh, he puts him in a position to succeed. Yeah, I think that's you know obviously you put him in a position to succeed, uh, and then people would focus on the play action stuff, which yeah, you know play action. I'll give it to you, but on third and medium or third and long. I mean, you're just dropping back to pass. There's not any trickeration there. There's not like a whole lot of play actions going in there. I'm sure Shanahan schemes up some good stuff, but a lot of times it's about just a quarterback being willing to uh, think quickly and execute on third down. And if you look at, let me see the numbers so far this year. Uh, offensive conversions on third down. San Francisco, as far as the the rate at which they're converting versus expected. And the expected numbers are based on down distance. Well, actually, I guess down's part of it. We, we know down's part of it because that's third down. Um, it's based upon distance and field position. The 49ers this year are third in conversions over expectation from a percentage standpoint. Number one is Kansas City. Mahomes is always, always there. Number two is Dallas. Actually, no, wait, they're fourth. Sorry. Number two is Dallas. Number three is Philly. I wonder how much of that is, uh, like, the tush push is probably helping out Philly's numbers there. Or the brotherly shove, I should say. Sorry. Brotherly shove. Uh, TM. Trademark. And next is San Francisco. So, again, when you're converting those third downs, and, and Purdy's able to do that in so many situations, we got to give him some props. we got to give him some props for, for doing that. Um, MVP. A, a shout-out to Steve Ruiz over at the Ringer. I, I, I had to zing him with one. Um, when he was trying to, he's trying to rile up. He's like, he's like doing the, um, the drill, you know, the drill, the, the, the guy who does like the funny tweets, uh, the drill tweet where he says, you know, keep on yelling at me. My opinions just get worse or something like that. <laughs> he's he's kind of doing that a little bit when it comes to Brock Purdy here, because he had Purdy 32nd on the quarterback rankings to enter the season. Even after four weeks, he was only up to 25th, which was behind Daniel Jones at 18th, behind Mac Jones at 20th. So he has 49er fans all over him. And he was still trying to rile them up before the game by saying he won't be fooled by Garoppolo and, he, uh, you know, and, and Brock Purdy's success. And then I, you know, I zinged him a little bit by sending out an article he wrote about Garoppolo at the end of 2017 after that first stretch saying that, you know, 
they found their franchise quarterback and he has these elite traits and blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, shout out to, to Ruiz, who I'm sure is probably tripling down and getting even worse opinions after that. So I, I like someone who sticks to their guns there and goes down in flames. But Purdy right now, there's capitulation going on in the MVP markets, at least. Through four weeks, he was plus 1,600. He was below quite a few different names. Now he's up to plus 700. And Patrick Mahomes is number one. Tua, surprisingly, a little bit, is number two, which kind of shows you like QB wins are maybe coming into this a little bit too much because Tua didn't have a great week this week. Uh, And then, again, QB wins coming to the fact that Josh Allen has gone from first to being tied for third with Purdy. So a little capitulation week going on with with Brock Purdy and the MVP markets. All right, let's get to the rest of the games. Let's start. Well, we start in London, right? We'll start with the early window and things that were going on in in London. So it is Bills Jags. The Jags were, I think, officially the away team, although they're kind of like the home team because they've been there and hanging out with back-to-back games. Uh, although there are probably a lot more Bills fans there, even though the Jaguars have played there more than any other team. So they might have more like homegrown. I'll put that in quotes, homegrown London fans who just gotten used to seeing the Jaguars year in and year out play there and have, and have uh, become fans. But there's more, you know, Bills Mafia, which may be transplant or people willing to travel uh, to, to London for this game. The Jags win. By five, but my numbers have the Bills actually being four points better. And and why is that the case? Well, it really just comes down to third downs, which is interesting because the Jags have been having problems converting third downs this season, uh, but they were much better in this game converting third downs, which just shows you that's why I downweight the results of third downs generally is there's not a lot of stickiness on a weekend, week out basis outside of maybe like the Kansas City Chiefs. Most teams, whether you're outperforming third down, and you're, and you're continuing those drives, which are highly, highly impactful for any particular game. Most teams, it's not huge that direction, uh, um, but on a game-by-game basis, it's a big deal. The Jags convert 10 of 18. That's 2.2 more conversions than expected based upon down and distance, which is a big, big number. Uh, the Bills were 5 of 12, which was about half a conversion less than you would have expected. Uh, that extends their drives, right? Jags ran 82 plays versus 54 for the Bills. and But the Bills, better success rate, 54% versus 46%. Better EPA per play. Better just traditional stats. If you look at yards gained per play, Bills 7.2 yards per play, which is a very strong number, versus 5.8 for the Jags. So all those go into why my adjusted scores have the, the Bills being slightly better than the Jags in this game. Um, if you go to the numbers, the only thing that was that was really bad offensively for either team was the Bills' rushing attack. And the the thing that's interesting about Lawrence is he didn't have like great numbers, great traditional numbers. If you're going to look at like efficiency, uh, meaning. If you, if you go on there and you say, okay, let's look at, I don't know, let's say yards per attempt or something like that. So if we go and we look at Trevor in this game, 8.5 yards per attempt. It's pretty good, but five sacks 
for 37 yards lost. So if you look at like net yards per attempt, you net out all that stuff. Uh, so 278 in net yards divided by 43. So now we're down to about 6.5, which is okay, but it's not like fantastic. Um, he also had two lost fumbles, three fumbles total, two lost fumbles. So massively, massively negative, yet he had a pretty good game by EPA in this one. 0.28, positive 0.28. That's like MVP-ish sort of numbers. And again, third down conversions, third down conversions, third down conversions. Um, highly important in this one. Because Allen didn't really even have any negatives. Somehow, according to my numbers, he actually gained some EPA on a fumble. Is that possible? Um he added a little bit on the ground, but when he couldn't convert those third downs, then that crushed his numbers. Um, Allen, 13.4% completion percentage over, over expected. This was like a really, really good fundamental game by the numbers. Again, I, I didn't watch the whole thing because I was playing soccer with the kids. Uh, sorry, got to put in some dad time on Sundays. Um, so it was like a fundamentally much, much better game, I feel like, for Josh Allen than Trevor Lawrence, but the EPA for play better for Lawrence. Lawrence, maybe get some of that good luck back in his favor after having some poor luck so far this year with uh, drops and interceptions and feet barely going out of bounds so far. So it's not really going to, the big, the bigger point here is that when my power rankings come out and I had the bills number one for the last two weeks, I've had the bills number one, my numbers are saying the bills were four points better than the Jaguars. So they're, they might not fall. And everyone's going to say three and two, you know, the record worshipers, all the people out there who are slaves to whatever the record is, are going to say there's no way you could ever have a three and two team number one in the rankings when the San Francisco 49ers are five and out. Well, it's probably going to happen. We'll see. It's probably going to happen because I think I've had them as being roughly equal teams so far this year, uh, accounting for opponent and the fundamentals. And then I had a higher prior going into this year on the bills, which is still part of my equation. I mean, I'm lessening that each week, which also can cause some funky stuff in how the week by week movements happen when I start to decay out the old results. But bills are probably going to be number one. I haven't run it this morning. Uh, I was just going to wait for the Monday night game, but it's probably going to happen. And then, you know, people yell at me. But I can take this. That's an OK getting yelled at the Brock Purdy getting yelled at for being 25th. <laughs> in the rankings, I'd be a little bit more concerned if I were Mr. Ruiz on that one. All right, let's go to Detroit, Carolina. I mean, it was a blowout, 18 point point differential, 42-24. A little bit more narrow by the adjusted scores just because the Carolina Panthers' success rate was not that bad offensively, 47.3%. Just, whoa, turnovers, yikes, 16 EPA turnover differential here. Um... So that's that's going to be a big difference. I mean, what? So the turnovers in this particular game, let's figure out how much Bryce Young two interceptions and then Miles Sanders with a lost fumble. So those were huge. No interceptions for Goff, no fumbles. So like, it's one of those things where how much do you want to pin on the fact that the Carolina Panthers? should just be fundamentally seen as more of a turnover team versus the Lions. That would make it the adjusted score a little bit thicker. You know, let's say into the double digits as far as the differential there. 
but the fundamental success rate was at least okay for the Panthers. So maybe there's something to be a little bit excited about. Although I will say here, I looked into this, a lot of garbage time stat accumulation here from Bryce Young. So, cause he had, he had points. He had positive EPA on the game. I don't think he fundamentally played that well. Positive EPA, despite the fact that he had two interceptions, two costly interceptions. And if you divide up the game, and I don't like to throw out stats because I just think like the bigger the sample size, the better. Now, there are some extreme situations when it comes to garbage time, which maybe you should throw it out. I'll let people debate that. But I do like to think about it contextually. So if you think about the Panthers contextually in this game, um, Bryce Young, let's look at Bryce Young's numbers at least. Okay. He had 23 plays through the first three quarters of this game, and it was negative 8.3 expected points in that that block. Now, they scored touchdowns on their last two drives, two full drives, I think, of the game. So he added 12.2 expected points on 15 fourth quarter plays. Should he get no credit for that? I don't think so. I think he should get some credit for that. But netting out a positive EPA per play on – the game is probably not appropriate for young on this one, but it will show up in his overall stats and numbers. So just, just something to keep in mind. Uh, Panthers can't rush the ball, which hurts. And Miles Sanders fumbling. Not great. Uh, Remember last season to end the year after Christian McCaffrey left, their rushing attack actually got better. And they were one of the top, top teams. They went from in the twenties in expected points per design run to being, in the top 10 after McCaffrey left not happening this season so far for them uh Jared Goff I don't know what to say about Goff let me see where's where's Goff at MVP odds I gotta check this out because like um is it possible is he in there let's check it out this will be fun just to see because like I have them as being a solid second tier team right now the Lions. Okay, so so by my numbers, a little preview of what you're going to see uh, next week in the analysis. By my numbers, it's going to be Bills, 49ers, Dolphins in the top tier for how they've performed so far this year. Second tier, there are a handful of teams, one of them being the Lions, who falls into like the three or four teams that are in there. So we're talking about like a top seven-ish sort of performance by this team so far this year. And mostly the offense is doing good. And Jared Goff is going to be, I don't know, he's going to be like top five EPA per play, right? Let's see. I Actually, I put that out this morning. So let me put this out this morning. Um, Goff, eighth in EPA per play so far this season. Now, what he doesn't have is he doesn't have a lot of volume. They're running one of the, the most run-heavy schemes versus expectation, at least. I think they're top 10 as far as or bottom 10 in pass rate over expectation. And they've been leading a lot. So they've just been running a lot. So he doesn't have that. So he doesn't have like accumulation, but still EPA per play continues to have pretty strong performances. And, you know, he was, he's had some really bad turnovers, but he's been pretty good there. So normally I think he gets a little bit of boost, even in my adjusted EPA because his turnovers have been so, so negative. Uh, so we'll see for golf. Let me see. I, I looked up the MVP odds for golf. Is he on there? Uh, he is, he's down there though. Let me see how many guys we got. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, tenth 10th in MVP odds. So a little bit higher than Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow at this point, a little bit better, I should say, than those guys at this point, a little bit, uh, 
more narrow odds, but then Lawrence, McCaffrey, Jackson, Herbert, Hertz, Purdy, Allen, Tua, and Mahomes still all above him. So probably no shot there, but I just thought it'd be interesting to at least take, take a glance to see where Jared Goff is. All right, uh, Miami versus the Giants. Oh, man, this is this is pretty bad. We're talking about um, – Dave Bolt was the coach of the year last year, right? Which often goes to first-year coaches because the award is like the award that you just give to the coach who outperforms preseason expectations by the most. And new coaches come in naturally for teams who are, unperform- who are underperforming their fundamentals, right? Because we can't really figure out, we don't we don't understand variance very well. So when a team is underperforming, what we look at their fundamental team and their talent and everything else, you just fire the coach and you blame the coach, and then you bring in the new coach, and then guess what? They regress, or sometimes they go past regression towards like positive, being way too positive, like the Giants did last year. They perform well. Uh, Daniel Jones had a pretty good year in a weird formula of rushing and not committing mistakes. And he has tons and tons and tons of mistakes this year. And then we say, hey, rookie head coach, here's your coach of the year award. Uh, it happens a lot. I don't have the exact stats on how often it happens, but who is it? Stefanski? I think he was a rookie year, rookie coach of the year. So it, it happens a lot. Um, Dable, man, the way this is going here, like if he if he didn't have that great year last year, like if they struggled a little bit last year, I don't know. His his butt would be pretty hot right now. I feel like his butt would be very hot at this point. Um, when it comes to like whether or not he would, he would be like potentially getting fired at this point, there's some there's some chance of that. Uh, so okay, seventeen point loss, thirty two to fifteen, thirteen point adjusted differential, which is which is big. That shows you it's almost it's almost to that point shows that the fundamentals were awful. 60% success rate for the Dolphins, only 38 for the Giants. And an almost an 18-point turnover differential. Again, the turnovers have just been absolutely killer for the Giants this year. After that was really what kept them in games last year, was not turning the ball over, not taking too many sacks for Daniel Jones, and then just grinding out victories by enhancing the design rush efficiency through Jones. And getting, you know, a little bit lucky on defense. This one. And this is like the turnover. Actually, you know what? I had this backwards. Sorry, sorry. The Dolphins had, the Dolphins were negative 18 points in turnover differential. And they still crushed them. Holy crap. Sorry, I had this totally backwards. The Giants were negative. I, I should have remembered from the, from the clips of that game. So 11.5 EPA lost on the pick six return. The, the, the pick six that Tua threw. He had another interception, missing a short crossing route over the head of Jalen Waddle, which was negative five EPA. Uh, Devon A. A. Chan, A. Chan, A. Chan, trying to get this right. Devon A. Chan uh, killed another drive with the first and 10 fumble. He made up for it with some rushes later. Uh, but none of this mattered because of the general patheticness of the Dolphins' offense. Crap, I, I had that backwards. Sorry about that. So 18. 18- EPA loss, net loss to the Dolphins, and they still crushed them in this game. That is, ooh, not good. Uh, basically, 100th percentile efficiency on design runs for the Dolphins, and that's with a 4.7 negative EPA fumble. That is incredible that the Dolphins were able to do that, rushing the ball. To take, a, normally a fumble completely tanks your rushing efficiency. They had a fumble on first and 10, so it's a very negative fumble. Still 99th percentile. 
rushing efficiency. Only 35th percentile dropping back the pass because of those big uh, interceptions. Uh, so let, let's go, let's go back and look at um, at least from a box score perspective what happened with um, the rushing attack here. One of these guys may eventually get injured, so you know I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna last forever with using the super speed of Raheem Mostert and Achan, but. HN 11 carries for 151 yards, 13.7 yards per attempt. Raheem Mostert, 10 carries for 65 yards. He looks unexplosive relative to, to HN at 6.5 yards per attempt. And then a touchdown himself, a 76-yard touchdown for, for HN, 23-yard. Was that a touchdown for Raheem Mostert? I don't think it was, but 23-yard rush for Raheem Mostert. He had a long rush in there. They've kind of like got explosive plays in the passing, in, in the rushing game, and I love it. Like, if it's hard to have explosive plays, harder at least to have explosive pa- pa- plays in the passing game, let's go ahead and bring them into the rushing game. Um, Shockingly, Daniel Jones is actually not that inefficient in this game. But their rushing attack was horrible outside of Daniel Jones. 46 yards on 21 carries. That's not going to get it done. Um. And you know Jones take, taking his sacks. He's gonna he's gonna jump over Sam Howell now for like most sacked guy. And then he got knocked out of the game with a neck deal. And Tyrod Taylor came in quarterback controversy. Tyrod Taylor in 18 plays actually gained about five EPA. So there's some positive there. But of course that was in garbage garbage time. Uh, Tua had this very weird game where he had if you net out you know, like interceptions, sacks, and fumbles, mostly interceptions for Tua. He had a really good game, like 16 EPA, but then he had, you know, 17.6 negative EPA in those categories, which sent him down. Dolphins, fundamentally, still looking great. Uh, Cut down on the turnovers, though. New England, New Orleans, man, talk about, like, blowout central on all these different games here. 30, actually, this final score, this final score is incorrect. Sorry, I pull up these, uh, these from the NFL faster and sometimes incorrect i don't think the final score was 33 to 1 <laughs> so the final score is 34 to 0 sometimes they have it off by one point i don't get it when i pull it up early but anyway so 34 to 0 my my score has it you know a lot more narrow because third and fourth down just massive negatives turnovers massive negatives for the patriots uh big special teams advantage that they couldn't even do anything with i mean it was just ugly zero percentile offensive efficiency for the patriots flat out worst offensive efficiency that we've seen for a team over the last two years. That's my time frame for looking at this uh, success rate of 25%, like almost the worst of any team over that entire time. And yeah, we got to be on Belichick hot, butt firing watch. Uh, I was thinking the way things were going so far this season that there could be some sort of uh, what was the what was the funny line from Gwyneth Paltrow when she got divorced from that uh, that singer guy? Uh, a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> I, think, I thought there could be a, a conscious uncoupling from the the Patriots, uh, Robert Kraft and the Patriots from Bill Belichick, who probably they probably got to like you build up some scar tissue over the years, some disagreements, some other stuff, things like that. Supposedly the whole Garoppolo trade and getting rid of him was something that Belichick didn't want to do. And then Kraft forced him to do. And then he kind of threw a hissy fit and just tossed away uh, Garoppolo for a second round pick, which at the time they probably could have gotten more if they had traded him over the off season. Um, you know, Bill, Bill just called up 
John Lynch is like, hey, John, uh, you want uh, you want Jimmy? You want Jimmy? Um, and then just gave him Jimmy Garoppolo. So, yeah, there's some built-up scar tissue, I think, there. So, But I thought there could be a way of being like, you know, Bill's old. He retires if they have another bad year. I don't know, man. Is he going to make it to the end of the year? We're talking about back-to-back, some of the worst losses of his career. And it's hard to make any argument, even if you say there's all these problems with the the Patriots that go outside of Bill Belichick. And I'll give you that. There are problems that they are not all Bill Belichick's fault. But, like, could the results be any worse with a different head coach than what we're getting now? Which is interesting because I thought the Patriots, you know, at least defensively, were looking okay to start the season. Um, But offensively, man, it's bad. Bailey Zappi, I do not think, is an answer. Or is it going to be any better? God, he was awful when he came in in this game. Somehow he lost 7.6 EPA without any interceptions, sacks, or fumbles. He lost 7.6 EPA on nine plays. How is that even? I'm not even sure how that's possible. Um, But Mac Jones losing about three quarters of a point in EPA per play, negative 12.4 completion percentage over expected. Just yikes. Just bad, bad, bad. Um, Don't have a lot to say about the Saints in this one. Obviously, the defense came to play, and that's what they're going to hang their hat on. Derek Carr is perfectly fine. He had a perfectly fine game in this one. Very Derek Carr sort of game. They're at three and two. I think they're the favorites. They should be the favorites to win the division over the Falcons. Um, let's see where they stand right now. NFC South. Yeah, they are slightly. They're plus 155 is the consensus odds versus the Falcons at 185 and the Bucks at 200. So it's all it's all packed up there. I'd probably lean a little bit even further towards the Saints in that direction. Um, not a lot of takeaways for them this game, but man, oof, wipe out. Wipeout Central. Okay, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Let's talk about this one because I think there's going to be a lot like maybe my timeline is just curated in a way that gets a ton of Ravens slash Lamar Jackson apologists where I think anyway, I don't want to say apologists and too. I don't want to be too flippant about saying that as if Jackson doesn't have legitimate gripes as far as what his performance is concerned. I mean, for instance, I saw in my timeline morning already a video of where the person put it out and said there were 10 drops in this game of catchable passes and first of all one of them was like a fumble after the the catch so yeah that affects them offensively but it's not going to affect um lamar jackson's numbers at least in my by my reading uh some of these catchable passes were stretching the definition i mean a guy like hits the guy in the hands where he has extended arms and then he gets sandwiched by two d- defensive backs. Yeah. I mean, I guess like in theory it's catchable in practice. I'm not so sure, but he did have some big drops that were like definitely catchable. Maybe the some one, and I'm not sure who it was down the sideline uh, was like gift wrapped in the guy's arms and he dropped it. And it would have been a huge touchdown. Another one, you know, it was like it passes behind the receiver. Uh, they have to extend their arms it's not like the easiest catches. So I think there's one of these things where we talk about drops. And one of the problems with drops is it's a low frequency event. You, It's a binary designation of one or zero, where in reality, the catchability of all these passes is, you know, somewhere between zero, where it's not even close, up to, I don't know if any pass is like a full 100% catchable, but I guess you could get up to 100% catchable. But a lot of passes kind of, kind of fall in the thick part of the of the distribution where it's like okay 
even the catchable passes are maybe like 75 to 95% catchable. And, you know, sometimes even less. But by the definition of some of these throws that I've seen people talk about with Lamar Jackson, some of these throws are more like 30% catchable, 20% catchable, because, you know, it just because it hits a guy in the hands, if he's getting crushed at the same time, it's not necessarily catchable. But he certainly was like the Ravens certainly were hurt not only by the drops, which don't show up in my numbers so far, because I don't have the charting data so far, but they were also fundamentally the better team in this one by my numbers. So I had them as being two points better, even though they lost by a touchdown. And better success rate, like their defense was good. They held down the Steelers' offense, which was god-awful again. Turnovers, huge advantage for the Steelers, which I downweighed. Third and fourth down. Conversions, huge advantage for the Steelers, which is just weird. Um, and then special teams, huge advantage for, for, for the Steelers, even though it kind of went both ways in that one. There was also a muffed punt that was recovered by uh, the Ravens in this one that they did not capitalize because of a bad Lamar Jackson interception. So, you know, sometimes he actually does things that are bad. They need to be talked about the Ravens overall offense, 10th percentile. Yeah. Lamar Jackson played a lot better than a 10th percentile leading offensive quarterback, but it is what it is. Um, now, I'll give some credit to Kenny Pickett, not a lot, but it was almost entirely from big plays. I mean, the success rate of 35% here, they had the huge uh, touchdown to Pickett that was ends up, not Pickett, he is Pickett, to Pickens that ended up being the, the, the big play of the game there. And the strip sack near the end of the game kind of kills Lamar Jackson's numbers a bit. Maybe it's not entirely his fault. But again, the interception he had in the end zone was like, Pretty bad and pretty bad his fault. So he comes off in this game as having negative quarter of a point EPA per play over 50 plays, a little bit negative CPOE. Yeah, maybe those numbers should be more like flat in both regards because of drops and because of negative circumstances that weren't his fault. But I don't think it, I think it's hard to say like he was great in this game. And I know people have been pumping him up as like an MVP type of candidate so far this year. I haven't seen it. Uh, I, th- I think he's done a fine enough job as being like an above average quarterback and doing well. I haven't seen like carry your team type of performance. I've seen some more flukier things happening, keeping the Ravens afloat here. And right now he is below Mahomes, Tua, Allen, Purdy, Hertz, Herbert. And then he's next. He's tied with Christian McCaffrey and Trevor Lawrence right now, which I'm fine with. Uh, but I think a lot of people would say might even still put him in the top five because they'll just like discount an MVP race or top three or top four because they'll just discount everything that happened in this game and just point it, point it on the drops that were all getting floated around. As usual, the truth lies somewhere in between. Uh, the Steelers, man, maybe they are just even worse than I thought. I had them as being a a play. I'll go for, for entertainment purposes only. I had them as being one of the picks that I, I think on my Friday pod as my numbers were pointing to them. As, as a potential play at home as an underdog. I mean, they ended up covering on this one, but ugh, they're nasty, 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 nasty. Um, Falcons, Texans. This is one where the Falcons win by two, but they were actually fundamentally even better than the score. I have a seven point difference by um, the adjusted score. Both teams very run heavy in this game, about nine, 10% pass rate under expectation. Falcons much more successful, about 10% better in their offensive success rate, near 50% versus 40% for the Texans. 
Now they they did have a turnover disadvantage as CJ Stroud continues to not throw any interceptions. And that's like a big storyline. Again, you know, I'm not like huge on guys throwing zero interceptions if you're losing games. Like, obviously, in a vacuum, it's better to not throw an interception than to throw an interception. But if you want to really try to, like, juice up offensive efficiency, and Stroud's been good. So, I'm again, this is not like a Stroud critique. It's more as like an overall critique that I would have when people focus on interceptions too much, especially when sacks are so devastating. But Stroud's been really good at avoiding sacks. I don't think he's taken a sack in the last three games either. I'm kind of more impressed by that, honestly, than the interception stuff. Um, too much focus probably on interceptions generally. Um, let me see. A Bijan Robinson fumble, 5.7 expected points lost. That's huge. That's like very, very, very negative. So that's one of the reasons why the Falcons are probably even better than their number. Uh, only a 32% success rate, though, rushing the ball. So even if you think about that fumble as just being one negative play, they're still pretty bad. 60% passing the ball. What's going on? Desmond Ritter, you own me this week, Desmond. Desmond. <laughs> After I've been trying, to, been trying to own you all season with dropped interception, this and that. You know, tip of the cap to Desmond Ritter on this one. Uh, 0.4 EPA per play. He's got himself a lot more rope now where I think most people kind of capitulated other than Arthur Smith in saying he wasn't the answer after that horrid London performance. Now he comes back. C- positive CPOE where he'd been negative on that so far this season. Really, really good EPA per play. Zero negatives when it comes to interceptions, sacks, or fumbles. It's a weird game. Both quarterbacks did not take a sack. Both quarterbacks did not throw an interception. Both quarterbacks did not have a fumble. Don't see that happen that often. Uh, maybe this is just like defensive nastiness. Um, speaking of defensive nastiness, I didn't watch this this game in great detail, but it came on to red zone at the end. Like, what was the Texans defense doing on that last drive? It kind of seemed like they just let the uh, Falcons go down the field and kick a field goal. Like, it's very easy to kick a field goal to win a game down by two like you got to take some risks defensively maybe I, I i know i didn't look at the scheme and everything else but i think that would be something to to look back on if you're the texans coaches to say and eh, you know should we have pressed our luck a little bit here and said who cares if we give up a touchdown here who cares if we give up a big play we can't just let them you know march down the field and, and kick an easy field goal indoors in a dome um but another pretty good game for cj stroud now his completion percentage over expected was low 7.7 percent under expected so that's a little bit of a warning sign i think for accuracy in some ways but i'd have to i'm gonna have to dissect this one a bit more before i would say there's really anything negative for for stroud and um the falcons stay in it desmond ritter again bought himself probably another three or four weeks um even if he plays poorly maybe another two weeks minimum of two weeks um if he plays poorly if he plays well, hey, maybe maybe he'll make it the entire season and continue owning me the entire rest of the season. Uh, Colts versus Titans. Um, this is another one where I think I said that I, I was recommending the Colts and they and they came through. Sorry if my recollections are only for the bets that I was recommending that win, but you know I'm going tout in that regard. Obviously, Richardson got knocked out of this game. Reports this morning or is AC shoulder AC joint sprain probably at least a month going out. And it's a little bit worrying. I mentioned this uh, when he got that concussion. When was that? Was that week two? I don't remember when it was now. Um, That it reminded me of when Cam Newton got this concussion a number of years ago where he was a little flippant, kind of lackadaisical, 
going into the end zone to score a touchdown, not realizing that it's kind of open season to just to just smack a quarterback if it's right as he's going into the end zone, even though there's no chance of really stopping him from going into the end zone. Like they allow defenders to do that and he didn't protect himself well enough. And Richardson did not protect himself well enough and then ended up getting a concussion on that play. I thought he, he didn't look like he was doing a poor job protecting himself on this one where he got the shoulder sprain, but it's a little dicey when we talk about the number four overall pick lots invested in him multiple injuries now and he's a guy who let's see he's actually over completion percentage over expected this one but he's definitely deriving a lot of his value not in this game but generally from rushing and scrambling right he's been under expected for his completion percentage he was 11 of 25 remember last week um yeah i don't know what they're gonna do when he comes back eventually from the shoulder injury as far as running the ball, and that could be a little bit of an issue. Uh, Zach Moss, I, I joke that Jonathan Taylor extension. Zach Moss using that for for motivation uh, to do to do really well. A huge touchdown run for him. Uh, five expected points on twenty four design runs. Derrick Henry never really got going, but Tannehill put up some some strong numbers here. Quarter of a point per play, uh, and then Gardner Minshew comes in. I, I I was saying that I thought he was better than Desmond Ritter and all these other quarterbacks. At least he played really well in this game. 0.52 EPA per play, zero negatives. So strong, strong performance by him to get the victory. I don't think the Colts are like at any worry of having a downgrade in quarterback during this time, but I do think it's a big, big worry if Richardson can't like maintain his health now with what's going on uh, running the ball. That's going to be a problem for him. All right, let's get into the late window of games i think it was four games in the late window and then i'll take questions if you have any questions if you do go ahead and uh toss them on in the comments here i see there's comments accumulating i haven't looked at them yet but i'll look at them soon uh that we can take a look at i got jamar chase up here as the image for the late games and but let's start in la there's probably more eagles fans than of course for any any of these Rams games. Even though the Rams are starting to build a little bit of a fan base in LA versus the Chargers, but still. Um, probably more Eagles fans here. They win by nine. My adjusted scores have it as a seven-point game. Um, better success rate for the Eagles, about 49% versus 43%. And the Rams had a turnover advantage, but they they had a disadvantage on third downs. And that's so that all kind of nets out a little bit here. Uh, the Eagles have really interesting offense in this game, though. So they had an 80th percentile EPA per play, but they only, and I put that in quotes, only average 5.8 yards per play because they just grind the ball down the field with all these conversions via um, brotherly shove. You know, you're just not going to get like an upside yards per play sort of thing from that, but, you're, but it's a nice EPA game when you convert those. I mean, they had 78 plays on eight total possessions. So that's almost 10 plays. Like a 10-play 10, a 10 drive is like a pretty healthy drive. There's almost 10 plays per drive every single drive. So obviously you had some punts mixed in here, probably, probably a three and out or two mixed in here, and you still got the 78 plays. Just grinding it. Just grinding up defenses. Plus, they're, you know, they're passing the ball pretty well now. I think Hurts is, is passing the ball much better the last two weeks. 
Uh, 43% success rate for the Rams offense. Eh, it's a, maybe a little bit of a warning sign so far for them after a strong run to start the season. They ran the ball well, um, but their pass rate was over expectation, so they just didn't run the ball that much. And uh, difficulty for Stafford when it came to passing the ball. And it was like it was like a fundamental difficulty, too. I mean, he had some negatives here. He was hurt by some sacks that were taken in comeback mode, including a fourth and 12 sack on a desperation play where he lost 3.2 EPA. Like, who, who cares about that, right? But even outside of that, like, he would have been negative EPA on this game without really that many mistakes. So just like fundamentally, they weren't able to generate much passing the ball on offense. And then Jalen Hurts, just like workman, like strong effort here, 0.27 EPA per play, which is kind of like MVP adjacent type of efficiency over the season. 4% completions over expected 6.4 EPA rushing and scrambling. The brotherly shove continues to work extremely well. Um, and, you know, they, they lost some he lost a decent amount of EPA on mistakes. So it's good that he was like so efficient outside of that, that even though he had the interception, uh, a fairly big interception, and he had a sack for eight yards. So even though he lost 7.4 EPA on those plays, he still was positive on the game. So I think the Eagles are in that second tier as far as how they performed so far this year. They're not in my like top three teams and how they performed so far this year. They're in that, a little bit thicker second tier. Um, I think they're looking okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if they continue to improve upon the offensive performance that we've seen the last couple of weeks for them. Uh, Arizona, Cincinnati, 12 points victory. Is that one off? Was it 20 to 33? Do I have another one of these ones where, hold on. That looks like one that's one off because of the NFL scraper. Yeah, yeah, 20 to 34. So 20 to 34. So that's 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 a little bit off. So a, a 14-point victory. 13 points by the adjusted score for me. Bengals, pass rate over expectation, 12%. They've been passing it like crazy this year, even with Joe Burrow being injured. I don't mind it. Like that's, I thought that was their formula to be much more successful last the last two seasons. A uh, little questionable with Burrow's injury, but now that Burrow's back, hey, let's, let's let her rip. Uh, 53% success, 52% success rate, and then a good defensive performance for the Bengals for the first time in a while, although the Cardinals were kind of due for a putting up a turd on offense after, you know, Josh Dobbs being like a top 10 quarterback in efficiency so far this this year. Uh, is the Bengals offense back? I don't know. But what's interesting is their offensive percentile was actually kind of low. It was like 50th percentile EPA per play, but those results are skewed by a third and fourth and one failures. Uh, the fourth and one, I think, was by Joe Mixon. So they lost 6.1 EPA on those two plays. So, you know, they're probably a little bit better than the 10th percentile rushing efficiency that they had in this game. Uh, and they just held down the Cardinals offense. They're never really in it. Jamar Chase probably going to be the storyline of the week. 17.1 EPA targeting Chase 19 times. Holy cannolis. Um, no T Higgins there. So of course things are being funneled to chase, but still. So 17.1 EPA on 19 burrow throws to chase negative 1.8 EPA on 26 targets to other receivers. That kind of tells you what happened in this game burrow overall, because of the failure on a third and one rushing attempt kind of knocked him down a bit here. Uh, by the numbers and then also the fact that he did have three sacks for 30 yards and an interception so you know 
still Burrow with the negatives still it does it a little too much for my for my liking. But huge positives as far as the fundamental passing game, and that's kind of who Burrow was two years ago when his numbers were, and who Burrow was at the beginning of last year was like big positives, big bigger negatives, and then he took he he mitigated the negatives in the second half of last year, so he still kind of needs to do that going forward. Uh, but an okay game for him. EPA per play, like a positive game. Good for him. Josh Dobbs, horrible game. Uh, everyone's saying like, maybe Josh Dobbs is a starter. Maybe he's, you know, has a future. And eh, probably not. I mean, when a guy's bounced around that many times, you can't really get too excited about four weeks of the season. Perfectly fine. Perfectly legitimate, like respectable, a respectable tank job. He, he's your guy there. He's already built enough goodwill that when, if he just, if he just completely uh, flounders the next few weeks and they get destroyed, Cardinals are not going to get like you're embarrassing the game by tanking vibes that they would have gotten if not for the good start for Dobbs in this one. Okay. Denver and Jets. A lot of storylines in this one because of the Sean Payton, Nathaniel Hackett stuff. I don't care about any of that. Uh, Jets win by eight points. I had a little bit more narrow at two points. I mean, both offenses just kind of stunk in this game. And the Broncos defense, like, we're talking all time bad here because I mean, they actually did okay against the jets. Right. But I still have them as by far being the worst defense in the NFL by the adjusted score metrics, all my different adjustments and everything so far this season. And then we also know that defensive performance is like maybe the least, the least amount of control a defense has over its own performance because how much of it, is based upon the opposing offenses that you're facing and the opposing quarterbacks specifically that you're facing. So if we look at the, the um, like who the, the, the Broncos defense has faced this year at home, Jimmy Garoppolo, again, I like Jimmy, so we're not going to have Jimmy slander on here, but still at home, Jimmy Garoppolo, where they have a normally have a pretty big advantage at the beginning of the season with the altitude and everything for some reason. At least they did. Maybe that's like a, a false narrative that was out there. Um, at home against Sam Howell. Now, the Dolphins, that hurt. <laughs> on the road against the Dolphins, giving up a 70-burger. So we'll, we'll toss that one aside. But still, we're talking about Garoppolo at home, Sam Howell at home, Justin Fields on the road. Zach Wilson at home. I mean, you can't ask for really outside of the the thumping that they got from um, the Dolphins and that offense that completely torched them. You can't really ask for a better set of opposing quarterbacks to go for. It'd be tough to think of like four four out of five games that are that are better than that. Yet they only gave up seventeen points in Week One, but it was pretty good efficiency actually for the Raiders in that one. Very few drives in that game. They gave up 35 to the Commanders, 31 to the Bears, 31 to the Jets. Now, some of these, I'm not sure if there's pick sixes or fumble. There's a fumble six definitely mixed in this week in that one. Um, oh, actually, that score is wrong. See, again, I, I keep making these wrong scores. So, it's thir- so the actual final score was 31 to 21 for the Jets Broncos here. God, these final scores are killing me. You're killing me, NFL faster. Um. But, you know, if you get Brees Hall for a 72-yard touchdown run, first play of the second half, that was also a big part of their formula for success when their offense wasn't doing well, when Brees Hall was healthy at the beginning of last year, was just get your explosive plays from the running game. It's not going to happen every time, but 
uh, Brees Hall at least gives you that chance. And Zach Wilson was bad. But again, you got a win here when he was bad. He got an almost win against the Chiefs where everyone thought he played well last week. I think it was more mediocre. So this is, again, Desmond Ritter, Zach Wilson. You guys are getting a lot of rope now for the rest of the season. Russell Wilson, bad game, huge fumble at the end, which is just massively negative. Um, and my numbers kind of mitigate that somewhat. So, you know. Horrible game for Russ. I don't know. It, it's it, it's Russ is gone. Russ is gone, I think. Almost guaranteed at this point that Russ is gone because I don't think Peyton's going to be gone after after one season there, after what they gave up to get him and the contract and everything else. Uh, ownership's probably just going to write off Russell Wilson as one of the worst trades of all time, at least in terms of results. I don't know if it was that bad in terms of like process, but one of the worst t- – Trades of all time in terms of results for the team and wins and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Vikings Chiefs. Chiefs win by seven. It was more like a one-point victory for the Vikings. So the Vikings continue this season to look better than their numbers by my adjusted scores where it was reversed last year. And in this case, it wasn't like their offense doing well. It was really just the Chiefs offense wasn't that good. Maybe that's the function of Kelsey being out. There were some drops in this game for sure. Patrick Mahomes leads the... uh, Patrick Mahomes leads the NFL as far as having the highest drop rate, according to FTN data going into this game. Um, The Chiefs were able to take advantage, though, on third down. And again, my numbers are going to say that's a little bit shaky and fluky that their third down conversion rate was 60% versus an expected 46%. But the Chiefs consistently kind of do this. Um, So they're a little bit better than what modeling would tell you. So they ended up having a 90th percentile offense, even though they only had a 43% success rate. Whereas the Vikings, pretty much the same success rate, a little bit better success rate, but they only had a 50th percentile offense in this one. They were also pretty good, actually, at juicing up the offense, especially running the ball, but didn't help overall. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, like great EPA per play, 0.43, CPOE. And I mentioned here, you know, will he be the MVP favorite? Yeah, looks like he is the MVP favorite after this game. Very similar formula outside of a long third down conversion, jump ball conversion for Mahomes is that keeping the A dot low and grinding down the field like they did last year, 5.9 yard A dot there. Uh, Vikings, I don't know what the Vikings are going to do. Maybe this is good for them in the long term that like Kevin O'Connell and Quazy have probably done enough to survive even a washout season here. Kirk Cousins has not been like awful, I don't think, this year. So he might have some like value attached to him or someone, you know, well, actually, well, what's his contract? Is Cousins done after this? Can they trade him? Let's look up Kirk Cousins contract here. I should probably know this already since it's been speculated like a billion times. So Kirk Cousins right now is, let's see, let's bring up the Kirk Cousins contract. So Kirk Cousins has, oh no, so he's done after this year. It's just void years after this. You can't franchise them, I don't think, either. Not that they would. Um, So he's done. Uh, I think he's probably done in Minnesota after this one. And it's just going to be... It's just going to be Quazy and Kevin O'Connell starting over. And maybe, you know, maybe you want to start piling up those losses so you could potentially get a good quarterback in the draft next year for the Vikings. So uh, continue to pour one out for Vikings fans who had their one mirage year last year and now are back to in the muck and the mire. 
All right, let me look on the comments. If you have Q&A, maybe specifically hint that for me. Otherwise, it's probably just people arguing back and forth in here. Uh, let me see. One man's odyssey. Bill should have won that game. I mean, that's when the numbers are telling me. So that's that's good that that aligns pretty well. Watching that game, the Jags look better. Okay, well, we got we got some disagreements here in the in the comments. Um, Lamar had eight drop passes and three were surefire TDs. Now, again, again, I think we're talking a little bit. I saw like the Mark Andrews one. Yeah, he probably should have brought that in, like the touchdown. But surefire, I don't know, man. Like it's a, maybe, maybe. Oh, was it Aguilar who had a yard of separation was going to walk to the end zone? Yeah, that that was the one that I was thinking of. And but it's Nelson Aguilar, right? As Philly fans, <laughs> as that guy who dropped, who caught the baby or whatever it was. He, he, this is Aguilar we're talking about here. Maybe I got to build that. I got to build that into my models. That uh, you know, play with team with Aguilar, you're going to get some drops. Well, what can you say here? Um, okay, this might actually be an actual question here. Any thoughts about analyzing assistant coaches? Uh, on Giants Twitter, there's a lot of talk about the O-line coach, but I saw something this morning about how low hit rate on O-line drafts making judgment hard. Nah, I don't really have much to add on assistant coaches. If anything, I just lean against whatever the – like. remember the Skarnikia talk? I'm sure he's a great – Skarnikia, was that his name? The Patriots. I'm sure he's a great offensive line coach, right? Um but I don't know, like even if we get we get around to recognizing the fact that someone's a really, really good offensive line coach, it we probably go too far because there's just so many other things that that go into it. And when you're not in the building, you just assign, you know, variance and outperformance and probably players who are better than you think to the O-line coach and vice versa. Um, that's what I would say. Uh, yeah, I think it's really hard to figure out outside of like specific things like play calling, maybe you can get an idea on a little bit defensive play calling. Maybe you can get an idea on a little bit of guys not being, you know, blitzing or when they're blitzing, when they're not having kind of a rational approach to that sort of thing. But other than that, it's pretty, it's pretty hard. Um, And I agree. Like a lot of it when it comes to development is like, we don't have the skeleton key on what, how certain teams are able to develop certain positions and certain teams aren't able to develop other positions. Why would they be good at certain versus others? Sometimes O-line coaches or assistant coaches come and go, but yet teams are still good at developing certain positions. So it's probably a bunch of noise uh, most of the time. Do coaches really know what they're doing? How do players like Purdy sit on the bench until others get hurt? That guy might've never played if not for luck. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important factor to sing in here, right? He was the third guy to come in there. And, you know, I just think it's really hard to figure out if you're not in the game, how well these guys will play. The story, whether true or not, is that like it was a coin flip between Tom Brady coming in to replace Drew Bledsoe when he got injured versus whoever else they had on the roster there. I'm not sure who it was. Um, so sometimes you just don't know. I mean, when you're in practice, like, I mean, you know, the guys who take a bunch of sacks. You know, like, you know, you, you maybe don't get great feedback on that since, since you have guys just running past the quarterback. Um, you're not like killing practice drives necessarily the same. Like when the bullets are really flying in a game, you, that's the real judgment that you're getting on it. Um, I always go back to there's another one in 2017 when Deshaun Watson was drafted by the Texans. He looked bad in the preseason, not great in the preseason at least. Uh, he looked okay, I guess, in practice. 
and DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien were on that Tom Savage love saying he deserved a chance. This and that boom, he was gone by halftime of the first game and Deshaun Watson absolutely tore it up his rookie season. So sometimes you just don't know until the bullets start flying. So I don't think it's bad on the coaches. I just think you don't want to be like overconfident and you just want to take more shots on quarterbacks to bring them in and just see what you might have um, with, with the context, you know, Purdy's Purdy's in a pretty nice situation there. So who knows how he would perform if he had to, you know, make more plays on a consistent basis. If he had to drop back the pass an additional five to 10 times a game, things could be a lot, a lot different there. Um, okay. Here's an interesting one for NFL MLB challenges. I believe the repay booth should not know the call on the field. The enough evidence to overturn mindset ruins the process Thoughts on this and challenging plays in general? No, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I I think that you're right that if you just made the call without having any sort of bias towards the call on the field, that overall, like if you had some sort of magic wand or some sort of magic insight and you could figure out that there are more correct calls or fewer correct calls versus the truth, like some sort of base root truth that we don't have access to via the cameras, you would probably have more truth in that circumstance. So I think you're right. But is that incremental benefit that you're getting in truth potentially or the right call, is that worth going even further against this like savage instinctual energy that fans and others have of not liking replay when it's wrong or when it disagrees with their opinion and when it disagrees with what the referee saw on the field, if it's close, probably not. I think replay generally is worth it, especially on big plays. Um, even if some people get upset by it, same thing goes for in, in soccer. VAR is a big thing. I think VAR is generally like good and I know it's not perfect, but it's definitely making more correct calls than there are otherwise. Um, but getting like even more of an incremental gain by saying we're, we're not going to give any deference to what was called on the field. I think that's probably a mistake from a PR standpoint and acceptability and buy-in standpoint, right? Probably, probably. Um, so that's it. That, 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 that's what I would say in, in, in that regard, because you still got to manage those things as far as, as far as they go. All right, I'm going to wrap it up now. It's been an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, you got any more questions, concerns, anything else, shoot me a note. I uh, appreciate everyone on here. Um, subscribe to the Substack, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel here. Leave comments in the future if you want anything. And I really appreciate uh, all the love on here and on Substack. And I'll be coming at you guys on Friday morning to talk Thursday night and preview week six. Thanks everybody.